I, it's, it's a heart to head, not head to heart, you know, mm -hmm. so I think I try to figure out where it lands or resonates with me. What, and I, that comes for me from the context of being a mom, being um, in a diverse family of beliefs, and in a community like Canton, Ohio, which I think is a purple community. And so I try to think about first the people I love or the situations that have affected my heart, and then I assume or hope that that's true for others. Kind of, so go from heart to head. Welcome to the Storycraft Podcast for Storytellers. I'm your host, Meg Adams, and I'm here to help you explore how stories shape our connections. Wondering how stories help you network in advance? Looking to bridge online and face-to-face -face worlds, foster understanding and ignite innovation? Look no further. Whether you're a leader, communicator, educator, or just love a good story, join us for actionable insights and real talk with professional storytellers, all aimed at helping you build stronger, better connections. So I thought that we could start off today uh, by talking a little bit about your background. I am so um, grateful to hear your stories every Sunday in church. You're an amazing storyteller. We, Kyle and I have both noted yeah. that. But I'd like to hear more about how you developed storytelling and your career path, how storytelling has played a part. Well, I am the daughter of a newspaper editor, so a story hunter. And my dad's family is just steeped in the newspaper business. His father and uncle started a series of newspapers in Wyoming mm -hmm. and his brothers and cousins, they're all in the storytelling business and mostly about communities and about the local close proximity stories. And so I grew up with great bedtime stories and a dad who asks insightful questions and listens well. And so I think that piqued my interest in storytelling and my family is not religious. My parents are secular. They still don't attend church, but I also love music. And so I wanted to sing and there was this great children's choir in a Presbyterian church in my hometown. And so I would get dropped off on Wednesday nights for rehearsal and then performing on Sunday mornings. And it was one of those big churches that had all sorts of programs stacked around the Wednesday choir rehearsal. So I started getting involved in fellowship meals and youth group activities all by myself. And so I had this interest in storytelling and then this context of being kind of an orphan in a church and listening to all the church stories. So that's sort of where both ministry and storytelling collided for me early on. Yeah, that's so interesting that, you know, you have this background. So journalist kid, love stories. As you speak, you know, you speak every Sunday and you are storytelling, right? The Bible is a book, a library of stories, yes, right, yes. Sarah? So can you tell us how you adapted and evolved as a storyteller who's speaking? Hmm. Well, I think that it's motivated for me by some of the harm and misuse that can happen when people just read scripture or go to um, churches that have maybe a different story that they're telling through the scripture. And so I think early on being an orphan in a church, um, I was always aware of the thresholds between insiders and outsiders in congregations because 
always my family was on the outside and I was on the inside. And so I felt really cautious and careful and attuned to any talk of those thresholds because it felt like cutting out people that mattered a lot to me. And so I think that the Bible requires translation and interpretation and mapping for people to understand how it relates to what we do and who we are and the underlying narrative that I think I'm always telling no matter what the story is is one of um, inclusion and community and welcome and so knowing that there's a lot of material to continue to trace back to that anchor is really important to me so it feels like an endless opportunity to keep translating and reminding people the path between these ancient scriptures that have been studied and used and abused for generations mm -hmm. and tracing it back to what I think is an important narrative that has to be reminded you we have to remind one another of I'm so interested in how you're doing this work because you, you made it sound like really pretty and fun <laughs> But I feel like when we're talking about the stories in the Bible, so particularly these stories, like you're saying, they're ancient stories that have been used and abused for a long time. One of the things that I don't think we think automatically associate with storytelling is how we put our own perspective or our own take on a story as, as the audience. And so I imagine that that's a lot of what you're thinking about in the context of your work. Could you talk to us more about how uh, you communicate that to people or in a way that can help them understand that idea? Well, I think there's a, there's a joke about pastors that every pastor just preaches the same thing over and over and over again. And in my context, we have some accountability to avoid that. We follow the lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of the scriptures. And it's meant to sort of get you through the basic stories in the Bible. And in my context, I usually just focus on the gospel scripture that's assigned every week. But that means I'm on a three-year cycle where I wouldn't repeat a story or a perspective. And I think that every time that I prepare for a sermon, I think I'm always looking at the scripture through the lens of the gospel, which is the good news. What's the good news? And probably different preachers would have a different sense of what gospel or good news is, but for me, that sense of inclusion and welcome and unconditional love is always going to be the good news that I'm sifting and distilling from whatever the assigned scripture is. So I think that using a lens of understanding how am I going to preach the gospel or the good news from these stories that have shaped whole worlds and generations it's motivational because it matters so much to me that that's continually said and referenced and taught and preached. So it feels like, um, it feels like kind of an honor and a gift to keep sifting through every single week, the different passages and finding that good news. One of the things that I think you do really well too, as someone who, who listens to you every Sunday, uh, is you are able, and I haven't seen this a lot in church or from from speakers in general, I think sometimes we all kind of shy away from like the cultural stories that are shifting around us, social justice issues. It's hard to kind of figure out uh, where, and I, I think we need to sift through this on our own, but you do a really good job of bringing your own stories in and aligning them with the scripture um, or bringing in, you know, what's happening in the world around us, bringing that perspective in and then tying it back to those ancient stories. 
uh, this is like sort of a selfish question too. You know, sometimes I think I shy away from doing that because I'm afraid of people's reactions to my, my personal take, but you do a great job using stories to Thanks. do that. Can you tell us how you do that or any tips to help those of us who want to be maybe more vocal and have more impact and, and share our perspective through stories in that way? Yeah, I think that one of the one of the most important things, at least when I'm preparing to preach, especially about something that might echo or resonate with what's happening in the world, is that I think the more zoomed in on particulars and the human experience that we can be, the easier it is to relate. And so I think there's a lot of factors in that. I think there's you know, studies about compassion fatigue. Like if you hear about a whole community that's struggling, it's hard to know where to help. But if you hear about one person who's struggling, there's motivation to assist. And I think that also is true about politically charged partisan issues that sometimes we color code ourselves with what we believe and why we believe it. But I think that it's unavoidable to tap, you know, to feel that compassion when you hear about a human story and one that, has elements of hardship or suffering. I think we can relate to that the more zoomed in we are on the experiences. So I think also it makes a better story to have better details and a better singular focus. So I usually try to be zoomed in and thinking about the fact that proximity can dismantle some of our prejudice. So proximity can happen in a story, a vivid story, I think. Love what you're hearing on this podcast? Consider booking me to speak at your next event. Dive further into the transformative power of storytelling with my keynote. Tell better stories, speak up, stand out, and build community. In a world that often amplifies our differences, my talk invites you to embrace genuine connections. Break free from the echo chambers and discover the art of storytelling. Learn how to share your own narrative, listen actively, and foster communities that flourish on shared experiences. Check out the show notes to learn more about how to book a talk for your next event story, I think. Absolutely. I think in, in journalists, the way that I was taught, it's put a face on the story, mm -hmm. put a face on the issue, mm -hmm. find that person that can help uh, connect people to these larger issues. How do you do that? Like when you sit down to write, like, what do you do to come up with those stories? <sighs> Any, I think I, it's, it's a heart to head, not head to heart, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think I try to figure out where it, lands or resonates with me. What, and I, that comes for me from the context of being a mom, being, um, in a diverse family of beliefs and in a community like Canton, Ohio, which I think is a purple community. And so I try to think about first the people I love or the situations that have affected my heart. And then I assume or hope that that's true for others kind of, so go from heart to head. I love that. That's thank you for that advice. Can you explain purple community to us? Sure. So purple community is the idea that wherever we are, there are people who have more of a red, uh, maybe voting record or partisan belief, or, um, <laughs> those who have a, a blue, um, political leaning and, that synthesize together, they're purple. So there's uh -huh. diversity of political and partisan thought in one community. 
I love that analogy. Like why that didn't occur to me. Kyle's laughing off the camera at me right now. I'd like to, no. yeah, yeah, I should have known this, but no, I, so I, I, I no, but I love that. I love that though. And so yeah. one of the things that you mentioned earlier was, you know, stories help us build community because they can help us have compassion as you mentioned. So can you, can you talk about how ways that you hope to see that work within like the church context, but also maybe the community context as well? Well, I think that we're kind of in a situation right now, culturally, where we've siloed and I think people are making decisions about even where to get chicken, fast food chicken, or where to yeah. vacation when there was a time when Disney seemed to be having um, affiliation with the LGBTQ community. I think people are making all sorts of siloing decisions from where to eat, to where to vacation, to who to talk to. and they're doing that based on these political convictions. And I think that it's harming our sense of community because we've forgotten how to build relationships with people who don't fully align with everything we, that we think about. And I think that the church is one of the last places, one of the last trusted institutions where people with differing ideology and coming from different walks of life still mm -hmm. intentionally gather and voluntarily gather. And, you know, I, people talk about how sports teams can bring people together, but that's really not a community that's spectator experiences. And schools might be in that category, but there's a power dynamic, I think, in schools. And so I think churches are one of those last organizations, you know, we've seen a fading away of investment in things like Rotary or other community organizations, but there's still people who are going to church. And I think they're going to church because they've decided that there's a third way there. They're not there because of their political beliefs sure. they're there for this deeper sense of commitment to their community and to God and to love. And so I think there's an opportunity to remind people and exercise muscles there for how to be in relationship with people, how to love people and get to know people and go through things with people in a church that we don't really experience a lot of other places. And then there's another side of church that is like a civic gym. People vote in church. People think about what matters to them and their community and figure out how to invest in that together. And so there's these little micro experiences that also mimic democracy and bridge building in a community that I think could teach us something about getting along and <laughs> handling that better on a national scale. Absolutely. I, I think especially like in this cultural moment, there is a, a lot of us are feeling um, loneliness too. And I don't know I'm not a social scientist or psychologist, but I think partially that might be because of uh, the, the divide, right? And we know people have not returned to church um, mm -hmm. since mm -hmm. COVID. And so um, I love the idea of it being a civic center. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you have any ideas about how to foster that sense of community. Um, Cause I think storytelling, a lot of times we don't, we don't often talk about listening either. Right. And I wonder like, is there a place for story exchange inside of church and how do you envision that happening? I actually think the storytelling or preaching part is almost the final frontier for getting people to think differently about issues or about their community. I think that there are rituals and sacraments and doing life together first that starts to prepare us to have difficult sure. conversations. So every single week in our context, people, you know, come to a table together at communion and 
break bread together. Mm -hmm. And I think that to stand in line or to sit in a row with all different people who are participating in this, you know, bread of hope and cup of mercy is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think that the same thing happens during prayer time. People are vulnerable and brave and honest and they're sharing things that are going on in their lives that are very personal and zoomed in They're It's their own stories of hardship or joy. And I think it's just, it becomes harder to break bread with people and hear their stories and then still hold on to still hold on to anger or frustration about the ways that we disagree. So I think that that's another element of church that when you're doing life together, when someone remembers the name of your kid and asks about them and someone remembers that you prayed for your mom last week and follows up, that's doing the work of building community before we get into the things we agree or disagree about. And so I kind of think mm. storytelling or wrestling with issues verbally or from the pulpit is the final frontier after we've done life together for a while. Yeah, that makes total sense, right? You have to build a relationship, build trust before you become vulnerable, yeah. right? With people, which is the basis of that for that story exchange to work, which kind of leads to my next question. For someone who doesn't have a Christian context or may not, uh, you were an orphan, so you maybe <laughs> can speak to this a little bit. What does... Uh, in terms of the stories, so many ancient stories in the Bible, what do they have to teach us about uh, community and about relationship building? I mean, it's the stories that teach us this, right, Sarah? But are there any basic things for people to take away? If, if a listener's in this moment, they're like, yes, this sounds great, but I don't, I don't go to church. How, is there any of this stuff that I can practice um, in my day-to-day? -day? Yeah, I mean, I think... There's sort of a thread in the Gospels for those who aren't familiar or haven't or haven't studied them that Jesus, this teacher that we um, tend to find inspiration from, was always unsettling assumptions. So always um, a little bit critical of religious people. Actually, that was a common theme. He um, spoke against those who felt righteous or prayed loud prayers or made a big show of being religious. And I think that we're kind of in a moment where um, religious identity can be a little bit of a showman experience that people are um, vocal about that. But that really isn't, um, <laughs> that really was never the intention of the gospels. And so I think that um, I take away a story of humility, of unsettling, that there's there's more to the world and to the people around us than we could ever know. <laughs> and so it creates kind of a posture of mystery and humility and wonder instead of assurance that we know everything there is to know. And I think that that can be accessed whether someone's religious or not, to just have a posture of curiosity and wonder and assuming that there's things that we still need to learn because I think what happens in this sound by tweet declaration moment is that people get real sure of what they know and real black and white. And, you know, it's easier to make a sound bite about what you think is true than to ask a question and to be in a posture of openness or curiosity. So I think that there's a, a lot of faith that requires that, you know, um, that wonder and that seeking. And I think that that can be accessed for people who are faithful or not. I love that answer. And it takes me back to my original, I think, um, my original draw to journalism 
was always that curiosity and the excuse to get to talk to people and learn more about them. And so for storytellers who do this professionally, so I'm talking about journalists, marketers, you know, people in public relations, um, business owners who are telling their stories, how do you live in the purple space? And I imagine that you, in the role that you're in, do that a lot. Any advice for them in terms of, you know, both maintaining that wonder and that curiosity at the same time, sort of grounding yourself in your own values, but then also leaving it like living in the messy, messy space. Like that's, it sounds nice, but it's very hard to put into practice. Yeah. Well, I'm not a counselor or therapist, but I would say, I think people have to be aware of their own triggers and we're in this moment where people are just triggered by things that honestly aren't really going to affect the next hour of their life. But you know, they hear a politically charged word or, you know, jargon that brings them back to their convictions. And I think they're putting convictions before relationships or righteousness Mm -hmm. before relationships. And I think part of all of our all of our work is to try to simmer down those triggers sure, and not let there be hot buttons that can stop us from listening mm-hmm. and stop us from engaging. So I think that's hard work. I remember times where the word refugee was charged up. And as a pastor, that's complicated because there's a lot of stories of refugees in the Bible. And so to feel like that would trigger people yeah. requires a lot of work and a thesaurus and exploration about how to tell stories without using a word that might trigger people. But I think we all have a responsibility to pay attention to what catches me and how can I move beyond that to stay present in the conversations I'm having. Absolutely. What great piece of like, just really granular advice. Like we can all do that. Right. Like, so that self-awareness of why am I being triggered? How am I being triggered? How can I maintain wonder and curiosity and relationships? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's no one, no individual's fault. We've been fed this. I mean, there's been a whole, there's so much layered (laughs) onto that. Yeah. And I think that that really shows up at church too. You know, um, I remember this moment in our prayer ministry when um, a woman named Shirley who had been coming for her whole life, she was sitting in this prayer circle and um, there was a group that was talking about um, President Trump at the time. And she felt uh, a lot of love for President Trump and there there were some criticisms being spoken. And she got up and she left and she never came back to prayer ministry or to the church. And so she forfeited this community that she'd been a part of for decades. And it was in defense and protection of the president. But I think about her all the time as sort of a a victim of the news cycle, because, you know, the president wasn't strengthened by her abandonment of her local community. That didn't actually help the president's next campaign or reputation. And so she lost so much and it wasn't really anything that helped her political affiliation or helped the president that she, um, was defending. And I think that that's, that can happen to anyone that we think that we're defending a cause or a belief and we, we forfeit relationships or communities or favorite restaurants because we think we're doing something that matters mm-hmm. in our political alignment, but really it's just hurting our local, real community, our day-to-day. 
I, I mean, thank you for sharing that story. I think, I think that's going to resonate because I've had a lot of those conversations as well. And I felt that myself mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times, especially since 2020, when we've had these things really just bubble up, I think they've always been there, but they, they hit the surface and they hit us. Man, maintaining relationships seems to be the theme that you're talking about uh, today, Sarah. How, you know, I'm curious also to hear how, how do we, in that situation where you, you think of Shirley, how might we maintain openness when like there is a trigger there? We are in a car. I mean, cause there are things like if, if I'm being honest, I think all of us, anybody who's listening will, um, be able to empathize with, like, there are things that trigger me because of my experiences in the world, mm-hmm. but how do I engage and story swap and essentially widen my perspective with someone who <laughs> in the moment it's hard, you know? Well, I think in our tradition, the um, communion table is just the symbol of an anchor and a uh, sacrament that at least I cling to because even if we can't stay in relationships, can we stay at the table? And remembering in a Christian context, the symbol of the communion table, you know, it was the last supper before Jesus died. And sitting there were people who would betray and deny and, you know, just broken people with all different perspectives. And the goal was to have that open table. It Mm -hmm. really wasn't to sort out who was lying or who was betraying or who'd made mistakes or who disagreed. The goal was to stay at the table together. Mm -hmm. And so I think it can feel daunting to think about being in relationships with people who trigger us or who we fear or who have harmed us. But I wonder if we can stay at the table because I think what's happening in a lot of places as that we're taking our toys and going home. And so yeah. maybe just the invitation is to stay at the table. Yeah. That's great advice. Stay at the table, but there's our, there's our, <laughs> our slogan with this, our soundbite, Sarah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've asked you all, I mean, this is, is there anything else that you would add today that you think that like would benefit people as we have these conversations? I'm thinking particularly in terms of we live in a cultural moment and, and the part of the reason we have this podcast is to help people use stories to bridge difference. So any final thoughts? Well, I'm thinking about this story that motivates my work, my ministry, and also my research on purple churches from the middle of the pandemic, which was a very divisive time. I I think that there were people who maybe were living in purple space, but all of a sudden when questions about masks or vaccinations or social distancing came up, politics were being revealed even for those who were trying to... um, stay in purple space. Yeah. And that happened a lot in churches, decisions about staying open or not requiring masks or vaccinations. All of a sudden it was revealing mm-hmm. partisanship. I felt like because yeah. health issues became partisan issues. Yep. And so we were, um, doing a outdoor Lenten experience a couple of years ago. It was a stations of the cross and we were outside because we had decided we couldn't be inside safely. And this was right after there was the January 6th event at the Capitol. So there were a lot of big emotions in the group about the state of the country and, mm-hmm. um, politics. And 
we did an experiential Stations of the Cross. So at every station, we invited people to do a ritual that brought them to the story. Mm. And there were all sorts of things. We had a chance to nail a, put a nail in the cross or, um, wash your hands like Pontius Pilate, those kinds of things. But this fourth station is where Jesus meets his mother. And we invited everyone to just say their mother's name out loud in the circle. And something electric happened when people did this. People just spoke their mother's names, but men wept and people started reaching for each other, holding hands, hugging just hearing these names. Some were living and some were deceased. But I thought to myself that it's now, after we have just spoken the names of our mothers, that we could have a difficult conversation mm -hmm. about COVID, about what happened in the Capitol, about anything, because we've remembered that we're all someone's child. We've remembered our own mothers who taught us about compassion, and we've shared that. And so it was a simple entry point that reminded me the power of humanizing one another, telling one another stories, remembering where we came from and the commonalities we have. So I think points of entry into mm. conversations and inviting connection before, before analysis is important. Sure. And it's just stood out to me that such a simple exchange can change an entire dynamic and an environment. So I think about that a lot. I think about that at the beginning of worship. I think about that at the beginning of pastoral care sessions. And I think about that in every conversation I have in ministry. Okay, we had to pause the podcast to let you in on this opportunity. If you're ready to elevate your brand storytelling, don't miss our training, Tell Better Stories, led by me, a seasoned television journalist and PR professor, and Kyle, an on-air meteorologist and video storytelling expert. This workshop unveils our secrets to craft compelling, personal-driven narratives that resonate with your audience. Learn our distinct approach that puts people first and brands second, leveraging six storytelling elements for maximum impact. Walk away with actionable strategies, tactics, and a clear process to replicate success in any organization. Check out the show notes to learn more about this offer or reach out to homeplacecreative at gmail.com. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really having that long-term mentality as well. And I like to think of that as, like, legacy. You know, sometimes I like to ask myself, like, what's the legacy that you're mm -hmm. leaving here? So, like, getting, like, very, like, go, zooming in, Sarah, mm -hmm. you do this as your job, right? Yeah. How do we, how do we, if this, it, I know this is for storytellers who are probably, like, doing storytelling for their job. How, how, are there any ideas about how to do that, like, slowly without loop. Cause I think if you dive in, like if you're like, Oh, I'm all for it. And I want to get to know this person. Like sometimes we can, we can almost like do that too quickly too, which can lead to that burnout, whether it's in one relationship or many, mm -hmm. do you have advice when we're talking about, um, purple communities and trying to bridge the gap across mm -hmm. the, the red and the um, blue? How do we like any tips just like to do, you said slow work, mm -hmm. like any, just like, is it thank you cards? Is it happy then? <laughs> like, what do we do? Well, so going back to how to preach about charged up issues, maybe it's zooming in. So mm -hmm. maybe you can't cover every, every purple space, mm -hmm. but you could find an area, a story or a point of connection mm. that would plant a seed yeah. for, um, for growth and connection. And so 
that Stations of the Cross experience, the yeah. the seed was remembering that we're someone's child. Mm -hmm. But I think that that can happen on a larger scale of storytelling. You know, you might not be able to get everyone's entire story and yeah. the entire context that made them who they are, but there's probably um, threads that can, you know, just start the work mm -hmm. of thinking, um, thinking openly, inclusively, and putting us in that posture of wonder and mystery. Mm -hmm. That's a great piece of advice. Yes. Thanks, Sarah. I just, you've left me with a lot of thinking in terms of how I, I'm doing that well and perhaps where I need to grow. And I think one of the areas that um, I need to grow in personally, but maybe some other people too, based on where we're at with the way that we communicate is listening, like those listening skills and being able to listen through triggers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to get to what you're saying, which is like the core piece, which mm -hmm. is the I think I believe like you that there, we do share, have shared or humans, right? Mm -hmm, that shared mm -hmm. humanity is there, but getting through it means like we talked about this is very layered. Like everybody has a different experience of life and perspective and mm -hmm. all kinds of crap that we've been given mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. over our lives. So yeah, any uh, last piece, last question, but any idea about how we can listen better? Hmm. I think. I try to listen without knowing where we're going to land. Mm. So I don't have any expectations when I listen <laughs> and it helps me to hear what's being said sure. or what's being shared. So I think if, if I go in needing to hear something, wanting to hear something, hoping to hear something, fearing I'll hear something, all of those are, they cloud my ability to listen. Mm -hmm. So I think <laughs> if I can take a deep breath and clean slate, I'm a better listener. Yeah, that's great advice too. Going in without any expectations yeah. of where you're gonna land. I'm definitely gonna put that one into practice, Sarah, thank you. <laughs> okay, so we'll do our rapid fire questions now. So this is just like, don't think about it too much, just tell us okay. what, what it is. Okay, so the first one is, what is your favorite story of all time? So movie, book, like oral, like peace, anything, mm. favorite uh, one? The Gates of the Forest by Elie Wiesel, which oh, is a yes. story, it's a, it's a fiction story from perspective of a Holocaust survivor. <laughs> Good one, I will definitely. And so what, what, what about that makes it so meaningful to you? I read it in college and it was the first time I realized that stories can change worlds. Awesome. Thank you. Best piece of storytelling advice that you just want to like shout out. We've, and you've given us a lot of this today. Thank you. Or like <sighs> advice so bad that like you feel like <laughs> nobody needs to repeat it. I think, especially in a preaching context, I'm totally against verbal footnoting or annotating. So when people oh, yeah. say, Oh yeah, I was walking down the road. It was a, Hey, um, how, what road was it? You know, I think when people do too much annotating or footnoting when they're telling a story, it just creates a traffic jam. Yeah. Get to the point. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Great piece. <laughs> fake it till you make it. <laughs> just go with the story. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's great. And then the last one is like, how would you define if you had to tell us to find storytelling off the top of your head? I think storytelling is painting lived experiences. So not documenting or, um, overly studying, but that it's artistic. I love that. 
which goes back to your piece of advice earlier about maintaining that sense of wonder, yeah. right? And mysticism and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. This time we really will wrap up. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. You, I'm like just thinking a lot. I love these conversations. <laughs> We're so glad you've listened to this podcast episode. If you liked it, would you mind doing us a favor? Share this episode with someone who would be interested in the topic too. We're on a mission to help everyone become a better storyteller. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get updated every time we release a new episode. Each and every episode is produced, hosted, and edited by us, Megan Kyle Adams at Home Place Creative. Happy storytelling.